2: Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today on the program, Ayan Hersey Ali. You guys know her. We had her on a few months ago, but we're having her back and for a good reason today. Ayan's a best selling author and one of the preeminent thought leaders of our time, really. Her courageous, bold, really just fearless reporting on Islam, on immigration, on women, um, has changed lives, really globally, and opened the world's eyes to certain risks that too many would prefer to simply ignore out of a desire to be politically correct, to not see the evidence before their very eyes. And she does this all at great risk to herself. Ayan is the target of an ongoing death order. From Al Qaeda and other Islamic extremists who see her reporting on Islam as heresy, but on she goes. She will not be deterred, and it's really affected the way she has to live her life. So you've got to. I hope you'll pay attention to her. I is funny. We were we were saying after we did this interview, she's soft spoken, you know, and um, you're waiting to sort of hear what she's going to say, and you're listening to her, and then. Boom. Like the substance of what she says has you dropping your jaw because substantively she's done her homework and she's not afraid to tell you what the truth is. Her latest book, sure to be a bestseller, is called Prey, P-R-E-Y, and it takes a hard look at how the spike, the spike in Islamic men seeking asylum in Europe over the last five or six years have, instead of assimilating, started to turn the culture their way. In particular, when it comes to misogyny and sexual assault, and the numbers are staggering. So we'll get to Ion in one second. But first, let's talk about skincare for a moment, may we? It's winter. You're probably giving it some thought, ladies, aren't you? Have you heard of Jan Marini? You've got to give Jan Marini skincare a try because not only do they have lovely products that won't irritate your skin, that are lovely in their packaging... Uh, that have no odor, but they have been put to the test and passed. In fact, for the past 10 years in a row, uh, Jan Marini Skincare Research and their management system has been rated number one, the best by New Beauty Magazine. All right. They have a five-step system. You cleanse, rejuvenate, resurface, hydrate, and protect. And this is going to help you reduce the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, discoloration, adult acne, and more. So it basically will address any issue that you have, and it won't break your bank either. You can go ahead and check out some before and after images and take their online consultation to find the best solutions for your particular skin at janmarini.com. Their products hydrate, they calm, they're not going to upset your skin. My my skin's sensitive, so nine times out of ten, if I try something new, it's like, rah, not with Jan Marini. And they're backed by numerous clinical studies that have been conducted by leading dermatologists. So, you know, the research is there. They're available through leading spas, med spas, aesthetic physicians' offices throughout the country. And you can either go to janmarini.com to find the locations nearest to you, or you can just purchase directly from their website. But give them a try. See what difference these products make in your skin. You won't be disappointed. And you can check out their great holiday offerings, still available Um, And always with free two-day shipping. Transform your skin with Jan Marini. By the way, now they're featuring a special offer. If you order from janmarini.com and use the code MEGAN, you will receive a free cosmetic bag with your order. I love cosmetic bags. You always need them, don't you? You can always throw some extra stuff when you're taking a trip in a cosmetic bag if you choose not to use it for your makeup uh, or your face products. So go now, janmarini.com, code (laughs) M-E-G-Y-N. Ayan Hersi Ali with her latest book, Prey. The subtitle is Immigration, Islam, and the Erosion of Women's Rights. Ayan, thanks for coming back. So this, like all of your books, is an important one. And I confess something I hadn't been paying very close attention to. Can you explain to the audience who are the prey, P-R-E-Y, referenced in the book title?
3: The prey are women, the predators are men. In this case, the predators are immigrant men. They come mostly from Muslim-majority countries. The predators are unique in that they come from failed states or failing states. So there's this tendency to feel sorry for them. They themselves have been victims of violence. Um, You know, men who come from places like Syria or Somalia or Eritrea or Afghanistan, uh, they're men we tend to feel sorry for because they've been subjected to disruption, to violence, economic challenges. So you already feel sorry for them. You want them to succeed. And when they arrive in places like Europe, some of them, not all of them, they engage in behavior towards women that's, that's bad. They engage in wow. sexual harassment and sometimes the acting groups. And they behave like predators. So that makes it very difficult to call out their behavior. And now the prey, uh, in this case, it's really all women. The cover of the book tells you some of these women are covered from head to toe. Some of them are uh, teenagers. Some of them are as old as in their 70s. And people are having a hard time talking about it.
2: Right. And you say that's one of the reasons you needed to write the book, because... We've gotten to this place now where the only people raising the alarm on this, you know, this mass migration in particular into Europe and the the changing of culture in a way that's very misogynistic, to put it mildly, the only people talking about it are sort of these far-right groups and nationalists. And it's made it what you say is a taboo zone. And they, they monopolize the discussion. And then everybody else feels like, They're racist or they're bigoted or they're not sympathetic to a struggling group if they get real about what's happening right now with with respect to all this influx and what it's doing in particular to women.
3: Exactly, exactly right. So it's the wrong groups that are talking about a real thing. It's the Russian bots who are exaggerating this because they want to destabilize these European democracies. It's the radical Islamists who are talking about this because they're saying, look, we have the remedy for this. Uh, If you want these men to stop behaving in this way, uh, we have the answer. These women need to cover up and they need to stay inside. And then you have the far, far right groups and the populists who are saying, you know what, we have the answer. Uh, Let's close the borders and deport these men and immigration is bad and all immigration is bad and all immigrants are bad. And then you have to ask yourself, but where are all the mainstream, rational establishment parties and peoples? And they're the ones who are saying, ouch, oh, we can't talk about this because if we do, um, we are going to empower the bad people. And that's the paradox. By not talking about it, they empower all the bad groups.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and And basically, I mean, what you're saying is that there are, there are a lot of immigrant girls and women in Europe who have been dealing with this for some time, but it's it's gone beyond that. European women now are feeling the effects of this. And in parts of Europe, in some parts of Europe, you write there, there are no women walking around, walking in certain neighborhoods. You say in Brussels, London, Paris, or Stockholm, only men are visible for a number of reasons. What What are they?
3: So immigrant women have been dealing with it and are still dealing with it. So the, I mean, if you talk about victims, immigrant women are still the largest group of victims, um, whether they are the ones traveling uh, on the same routes as these immigrant men, or whether they're their wives, sisters, nephews, nieces, you know, you name it. Immigrant women, Muslim women, they still are the largest number of victims of. Um, sexual assault, sexual violence, forced marriages, female gender, you just name it. And for a long time, I think the attitude was this type of behavior just affects them. It doesn't affect us. And then it started to spill over, I guess, because of the scale of the number of men and entire neighborhoods uh, became demographically changed what you see is European women who weren't affected in that way started to display adapting mechanisms that immigrant women were displaying. So they would avoid certain streets, certain parks, neighborhoods, whole neighborhoods became empty of women. You know, you don't go to this cafe, you go to that cafe. You don't take this bus, you take that bus. You don't take this train, you take that train. You don't go to this park, you don't go to that park. Uh, word gets along, uh, you don't leave your house. It's similar coping mechanisms that immigrant women or even women in the countries of origin had sort of uh, were deploying for ages. This is now what European women or in some neighborhoods are doing. And what I'm documenting, actually, European women have documented in some countries is there are women free zones in Sweden, in France, in Germany. And that's interesting because the promise of Europe was the immigrants are going to adapt. They will integrate. They'll assimilate. And now we're seeing actually assimilation in the wrong direction.
2: Mm, Right. It's 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 not happening where they where the immigrants get folded into the existing culture they're they're taking over the existing culture at least in this way which is not something anybody wanted to import you know it the subjugation of women th- that sort of difference in power between the sexes and I, you know i i look at sort of what you've written in the book and i think it's hard to believe it's hard to believe that a european woman you know a a, a french woman would Cover herself up when she wanted to wear a tank top, because of this, would, you know, not eat at her favorite cafe because more and more, you know, of these sort of migrant men who came from, let's say, Syria, are there. But it's not a bigotry thing. It's, it's the as Gavin De Becker would say, it's the gift of fear. They understand, given the data, they're at a very high increased risk for a sexual assault or abuse.
3: And the the women I've interviewed actually stated just that way. They say, I'm not bigoted. I'm not against immigration. Uh, Many of them say they vote for social democratic parties or left-wing parties. Um, They are very generous, compassionate people. They understand where these men come from, what their needs are, Uh, but they don't like the violence they don't like to be harassed and assaulted and subjected to that kind of demeaning, derogatory, uh, humiliating behaviour. So they adopt these um, self-preserving behaviour. And, uh, yeah, they edit themselves out of these neighbourhoods and streets and, uh, you know, some women say, I, I don't wear high Anymore. I wear tennis shoes. Uh, I will ask my boyfriend or my father or my brother to walk with me. Um, you know, I, I look at my schedule and I think maybe tonight I'm not going to go out. I'll stay in. Uh, they adopt these. these uh, some of them wear their earpods because they don't want to hear this uh, cat calling and obscene calls inviting them to do. All sorts of things they don't want to do,
2: they want it. they want their husbands or their boyfriends or their brothers to walk with them or their fathers. Why? because how would it be perceived if a woman walked by herself in front of a lot of these young
3: men? They're invited to have sex. they are perceived as whores. they're in, they're seen as constantly available um, to have sex, and it's not the person inviting them. It's usually not even one person. It's it's more people, two, three, four, uh, these young men acting in groups. Uh, I talked to um, a few people, immigrant men who uh, who have lived in some of these countries. Uh, for instance, the Egyptian Hamad abdul Samad, who lives in Germany. And he said, there's just this huge misunderstanding because some of these men, uh, before they come into Europe, they have these prejudices against European women, uh, they see white women in um, Hollywood movies, um, they see them in uh, pornographic movies, and then they are told when they communicate with relatives that, oh, when you come into Europe, you come into these asylum seeker centers or refugee places, and the first thing that happens is these white women will want to have a relationship with you. That's their prejudice, that's how they judge, and these things happen. And that's what they expect. They expect white European women to instantly jump into bed with them. And when that doesn't happen, they're confused, and no one is explaining to them that that's not how life works here. And the European women are confused and saddened and angered, and the men are confused and saddened and angered. And this is just a clash of values taking place in real time on these streets and other public spaces. Not Not everyone. It's not happening to everyone, but it is happening and it's large enough. And it's happening to enough women for this to cause problems. And very few people are talking about it.
2: Now, I know that you say right up front in the book, being Muslim does not make you a threat to women. That's not what you're saying. And that the point of the book is, is not to demonize migrant men from the Muslim world. The the point of the book is to shine a light in the same way Me Too did here in, you know, in America, to shine a light on what tend to be like really serious crimes against women in these other neighborhoods over in Europe, often often low income, not always. But I mean, the, the crimes you document in the book, you mentioned gang rape. That's that's like a thing that seems to be a go to. And it happens over and over, Rape the rapes of women, and then a slap on the wrist from the judicial system, Ayaan. So before I get to all that, just speak to the fact that you're you're not just trying to demonize Muslim men writ large.
3: And I thank you so much, Megan, for saying that, because that's exactly it. The point of the book is not to demonize Muslim men, not all Muslim men. Uh, Guilty of or engage in sexual misconduct. A lot of Muslim men are really respectful of women In fact, I've spoken to many of them during the research for this book Uh, Many Muslim men have in many European countries started programs trying to educate and enlighten other Muslim men uh, Into respecting uh, the dignity and the equality and the rights of women. So let's just put that out there uh, but this is causing a lot of social turmoil, a lot of political volatility. So it is a thing. Uh, Gun rapes are a thing. Homicide is a thing. Um, and let's put that out there as well.
2: Yeah. What caused the huge influx? You know, the book says about 3 million people arrived illegally in Europe since 2009, says the majority of whom have applied for asylum, roughly half of those in 2015 and two thirds of those are male, two thirds. So it's a vast, vast majority are men, young men coming in seeking asylum. Why, why now?
3: So events such as the breakdown of Syria and before Syria events, I mean, Syria is obviously part of what people called the Arab Spring which actually was the Arab nightmare. Uh, all of these Middle Eastern countries started to break down. And um, then you have, obviously, uh, other events, Africa, the Middle East. And this will continue, uh, as I write in the book. Uh, we are now in the middle of COVID that has affected countries in Africa, the Middle East, parts of Asia. There will be food shortages. Food shortages are going to cause conflict. Conflict is going to displace hundreds of thousands of people if not millions of people that is going to lead to an exodus of people and it's who who will be able to um have the courage to cross the mediterranean men young men unaccompanied young men and so we will see a surge of young men try and make their way to where europe the places where they think they can make a living and so when you have as Valerie Hudson, whom I quote in the book, and others say, when you have a surge of young men, uh, you can have this type of you know, disruptions, uh, violence, but especially sexual violence against women. So this is something that should have been anticipated, especially, Megan, when countries in Europe were already dealing with failed integration or the failed integration or assimilation, of first-generation and second-generation communities from Muslim-majority countries in those European countries. So the problem is compounding. Mm-hmm. It's getting worse. It's getting bigger, not smaller.
2: We're with on in just one second. But first, let's talk about coffee, Black Rifle coffee in particular. Now, let me tell you, I've been doing the ads for Black Rifle for a few months now, and I tried it and I really liked it. They sent me some, so I was like, well, this is good. And... Then I ran out of the product and I was like, all right, I'll just go back to, you know, the other stuff until I can figure out what I'm doing. I missed it. It's so good. I missed it. And I live in New York. There's good coffee here, but it wasn't like Black Rifle. And now I have gone back and I have subscribed and I'm a member uh, and I'm on the auto ship program for the Black Rifle coffee. And that's exactly what I recommend you do as well. This is a veteran owned coffee company. It serves premium coffee to the people who love America. I'm one of them. Veteran CEO and founder Evan Hafer spent over seven years on the ground overseas with U.S. Special Forces and as a CIA contractor. This is the guy who even modified his gun trucks during the invasion of Iraq to grind coffee. Loves his coffee and it shows. Black Rifle Coffee Company is continually committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement officers and first responders and their causes. And with the company's Buy a Bag, Give a Bag campaign, they are making sure to give the gift of America's coffee to those that serve around the globe so you can help yourself and help others at the same time. In fact, in 2020, Black Rifle donated over 6 million cups of coffee, and with every purchase you make, they're going to give back. They import their high-quality coffee beans from Colombia, from Brazil. They roast five days a week at their facilities right here in the good old U.S. of A., Manchester, Tennessee, and Salt Lake City, Utah. The team there at Black Rifle Coffee is continually researching. They're experimenting with new roasting methods, coffee origins, and all of it. You're in good hands with these guys. So go ahead and try it out. www.blackriflecoffee.com MK. And do make sure you use the code MK at checkout to get 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order will be in the same club together. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's a deterrent or a lure. I'll leave it to you. And back to Ion. We've got this mass influx of immigrants from these communities where women are not viewed as equal and... It adds to a pre to a pre existing problem of non assimilation. And so, why is that? You know, I know you talk in the book about how here in America we had we had the Irish come over, we had the Italians come over, and as we saw in the nineteenth in the nineteen hundreds here in America, they had some rough years, but they immigrated, they adopted the culture without without kissing off their cultural roots, but they adapted. And it's not happening there. These these guys are maintaining their own culture, and as you point out, it's starting to act as a contagion outward.
3: Why? I think the story of American immigration is very different. American, uh, especially early immigration into America was selective. The story of America is still not, uh, the immigration story of America is still a selective one. I know there are caravans arriving from um, Central and South America, but unlike in Europe, the story is still a selective one. And Uh, America is a heterogeneous nation. We have big confrontations about who we allow in, what the conditions are, and what happens if you don't assimilate. And the system of being thrown out, that's all very well established. It's very different. Uh, And then one more thing about America. Um, The early Europeans who came in, even when they came from Eastern Europe, um, different parts of Northern Europe, the culture there were cultural differences but the gap wasn't that large here you have european uh, europe which was really mainly a homogenous um, continent bringing people in from radically different cultures um islamic civilization is very different from cult- uh, christian, civiliz- uh, christian civilization christian uh, civilization and one big difference is the attitude towards women. And again, in Muslim-majority countries, the attitudes toward women in the 50s, 60s, 70s uh, had very much relaxed and began to resemble that of Europe. But then again, it went backwards. And so now if you are a young man growing up in those cultures in the 80s, 90s, you tend to be more misogynistic than say your fathers and grandfathers. And now we're seeing this encounter big story, too complex to talk about in a podcast, but these encounters are now happening on the streets of Europe. And some of these men are coming not only from, um, let's say, Islamist countries or uh, Islamist-influenced countries, but they're also coming from broken-down societies, a country like Syria or Libya or Somalia. These are broken-down societies. They don't even have any kind of order, and uh, violence is the prevailing norm. And so it shouldn't surprise these European authorities that some of these men will behave in ways um, that are challenging in general
2: they're they're not going to learn the language. you know it's that's that is one thing, but it's well beyond that, including you point out in the book the <laughs> like the way they view girls coming in, the way they practice their lives towards girls between, quote unquote, honor violence and genital mutilation, which you've been very open about the fact that you were subjected to that at five years old when you were in Somalia before you left. Um, And you, you outline in the book something called grooming gangs, which are a part of certain of these cultures that now are popping up in Europe too. I mean, it's horrific. Honor violence is basically your daughter, your, your Muslim daughter's not behaving in a way that you find honorable and you can murder her. The, the code in your religion sees no problem in you murdering your child. And then can you speak to that and to, to grooming gangs? What are they?
3: So if you think about honor violence and uh, you, you say, okay, my sister, my daughter, my mother, the female in my family is supposed to behave in a modest way. And if she behaves uh, in a way that is uh, that violates that code of modesty, then she should be punished in several ways, um, the most extreme of which is to kill her. That is within a code. Where that code does not exist or where women are seen as immodest, Then it is uh, perfectly okay to see women as commodities and to trade in them and to groom them and uh, sell them to other men and rape them. And so, if you look at what the say these Pakistani gangs have done to the working class girls in the United Kingdom, sell them to one another and rape them in, uh, you know. One, two, three, four men. There were young girls who were raped by over sometimes 10 or 20 men. That is because the men, the older men who are doing this to children, don't view those girls as fellow human beings. They see them as toys. They see them as commodities, as things. And that is something to you and me, it's incomprehensible. Mm -hmm but it is a mindset. Again, I'm not saying that's exclusive to Pakistanis or to Muslims, but it's something we have to recognize as existing. And unless you name it and you shame it and you socialize young men, regardless of where they come from, what their background is, what their culture is, they're not going to learn to recognize girls and women as fellow human beings and empathize with them as such.
2: But, but it's so hard to socialize them out of that, right? Because more and more they um, live in communities that are sort of shutting out the outside community, that the, the, they, they practice the same, as you describe in the book, regressive religiosity that they practiced back at home. They, they continue to see any attempt by the girls to become more westernized as verboten. That's, that would be shot down. I mean, God forbid... Punished with an honor violent situation. But I, how on earth do we crack through all of that?
3: So, the perpetrators in the case of the grooming guns in the United Kingdom were born and raised in the United Kingdom. The failure lies with the authorities in the United Kingdom because they knew this was happening. They knew this was being done to the children, but they were terrified of being called a racist. And they made a trade off. And the trade off was that they were they chose not to be identified as racist. They were afraid of the insults and the pain that the insult of racism would cause them rather than stand up for the children. They betrayed those children. How can that
2: be? I, I mean, I, I understand not swooping in and saying, learn English. I get that being perceived as culturally insensitive. I don't get their their grooming gangs where girls as young as 11 are being passed around to be repeatedly raped by different men and the cops don't do anything out of political correctness?
3: Some of these cops and other social workers and other grown-ups whose job it was to stop this thing came out and confessed that the reason they didn't stop these horrendous activities was because of their fear that they would be identified as bigots. And so it's, it's obviously the acts of the perpetrators and their perception of you know, seeing not seeing these girls as fellow human beings and just seeing them as instruments, toys to be played with, but it's also the host society betraying these children because of their own selfish self-image. So I think it is where, and here's where you have to talk about these things and this clash of values. And this is what I want to achieve with this book is get everything out into the open. It's not about only the immigrant men, and it's not only about the people whose culture wholeheartedly teaches misogyny, but it's also the people whose culture pretends that women are equal and that you know we have this high minded culture but that's nothing when push comes to shove
2: that's right they sit on their hands can you explain that regressive religiosity because that to me was a new concept and it made a lot of sense when it comes to employability and why a lot of men in this community are not getting jobs which as everyone knows never leads to anything good
3: You know, starting in the late 70s, there's this rise in political Islam where there's a lot of preaching that the answer to the reason why the Arab Muslim world is backward is because they left the basic tenets of Islam. So they were supposed to go back to the basic tenets of Islam. That is, um, you may have heard of organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood. That's ultimately what led to Al-Qaeda, ultimately what led to the kind of extremism such as ISIS. A lot of this, these schools of radical Islamist thought were established in various parts of Europe and even in the United States of America. But that led then to people becoming more religious and rejecting modernity. And the more you study the Quran, the more you go to the mosque, the more you reject modern life, obviously, the, more, the less prepared you are for it again, animosity towards women, animosity towards homosexuality, animosity towards Jews and Jewish minorities, animosity to the society, modern society that you that has hosted you, um, and then the retreat into these ghettos. And I think that is where, when you ask uh, one part of what is skipping integration uh, from happening, is this establishment of ghettos. This is what the French president called Islamist separatism, which he now said he's tackling, because they have these drip drop of terrorist attacks. But then, when there is a terrorist attack, it you know it dominates the headlines. What doesn't dominate the headlines is this terrorizing of women in the streets and in the public space.
2: And and when these men and their families stay in these quote unquote ghettos. They maybe they don't want to get out. Maybe their culture is just all around them and they don't feel you know, comfortable. But they that these attitudes affect their ability to get a job or even want a job working for, let's say, a gay boss or in a company that has a bunch of women. They're, they're not supposed to be doing that. And and I imagine if they try to do it anyway and they have these beliefs, it doesn't go very well. So you have a bunch of folks like immigrants from these countries that are war-torn, who aren't all that keen on assimilating in the first place, who may want a job, Mm -hmm. but the field of jobs they're willing to do is very small. And then when doing them, I'm sure it's a very eye-opening experience.
3: It is if they even get to those jobs, because then there is also, like I said earlier, there's a response from the potential employers who don't even want to hire them. And so if you, you, I don't know how much time you've spent in many of these European countries, they don't want to hire them. So there's this whole, they're discriminated against and they don't want the jobs. So you have a very high unemployment rate. They depend on welfare that creates resentment. Men who are unemployed and on welfare and bored and are on the streets and then are up to no good and you know, you just have this whole cycle of negative behavior, uh, rejection. That is, they reject the society they've come to. The society they've come to rejects them, and they engage in negative behavior towards women and others. and And this goes on and on. And this is just really that's what I mean by failed integration. Again, not everyone. There's a slice of Immigrants, men and women who adjust and adapt, but there's a large swathe of them um, that fail to adapt and are overrepresented in crime statistics, in welfare, that's what it's called in Europe. I think we call them entitlements here or food stamps or something like that, um, school dropouts, um, you know, menial jobs, and then there are all the accusations of there is racism and discrimination. And exclusion, and then, oh yeah, but then there is terrorism and sexual violence and domestic violence and 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 this goes on and on, and the numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. and there are more and more immigrants coming in immigration situation never gets addressed. People just keep arriving and arriving and arriving.
2: Yeah, it's not good. there's no abatement anytime soon. And on that point of the increase in sexual violence, the book Prey points out that places like England, Wales, Denmark, Sweden, after 2015, you just saw like the numbers started to shoot up, that they've doubled, you say, they've doubled the, the number of sexual violence incidents in three years in some of these places. Um, Germany, striking increase in rape cases after 2015, when Merkel let in a lot of Syrians and others. Sweden, doubling of sex offenses against women between 14 and 16, doubling people, double. Um, and then you go, the book goes through, and I credit you for this, Ayan, because it's it's one thing to sort of make the generalization to say this the, the, this, the stats are going up and it's troubling. It's another to actually show the cases. And and that to me is the most disturbing part of the book, but also eye opening that where these crimes are happening and these defendants get a slap on the wrist and ex, ex, excuse making, sometimes yeah. even by the victims, sometimes the, the European women in particular feel somehow bad. Having an immigrant get prosecuted for hurting her—that's nuts. Um, but also the judges. You talk in the in the you write in the book about one case in which the judge, after a, a man had a woman, it was a twenty-three-year-old Turkish man who had a woman for four hours tied to a bed where he was raping her in seventeen in Berlin. This is, and the defense was basically, I thought it was consensual, given the way my
3: culture works.
2: And they bought it. The judge was like, you're right,
3: acquitted. It just doesn't seem possible. I know. And this is just the madness of it all, that culture and cultural defense is used in sometimes to say it doesn't exist, just as an argument of denial. And so culture is not a factor here. And other times it's used Exactly as an explanation where he couldn't know because in his culture, it's OK. And that is what's mind boggling.
2: In a minute, I'm going to ask Ayan whether this problem is likely to come here to the United States. And uh, you will hear that answer. But first, let's talk about Armbrust USA. You know, how you're supposed to wear like 40,000 masks now. <laughs> it's up to 40,000. Well, you better buy them from a company you trust. And that's where Armbrust comes in. I like these guys. They're basically like, look, you're being forced to wear a mask. We get it. We're going to give you the safest kind. We're going to make them look good. And by the way, we love America. We're going to manufacture them here and not in China and do our part. Right. So you got to wear it. Uh, So go to Armbrust for it because they're on the same page. We all know that the gaiters and the bandanas and the cloth masks They don't work, is what they say. And they're not going to get the country back to work. And by the way, they're basically banned now on all federal property thanks to Joe Biden. So you got to get the real deal. Go to Armbrust where you can. For 20 years, our country, you may not know, has been outsourcing America's strategic manufacturing of PPE equipment to China. Oh, the irony. When the pandemic hit, the Chinese Communist Party hoarded vast quantities of the supplies, including surgical masks and 95s and so on, endangering our doctors, our nurses and our frontline workers. And Americans came together to solve the problem. But that was never going to be a long term solution, the sewing masks at home and the bandanas and all that. And so now here we are having to wear them. So why not go to a company that has a factory in Texas and that is producing millions of FDA listed ASTM level three surgical masks? even for hospital workers and frontline workers. Uh, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Here's how you do it. Go to DontShutDownMaskUp.com and use the coupon code MK to save 20% off on your order of a pack of Armbrust USA masks. These lightweight, breathable, hypoallergenic masks, again, are FDA listed and made in America. Don't buy cheap non-medical knockoff masks or fake ones bought from China. They're simply not sending us their best products by American at Don't Shut Down Mascot today. And now, uh, I want to bring you a feature we call Sound Up here in the program. Remember how the Biden White House was going to be like totally transparent with us and they were going to this is going to be the one that restored like trust uh, to the White House this administration and their spokespeople. Well, I'll let you be the judge. On the Megan Kelly show, we have had on some of the smartest minds when it comes to the trans trend And the massive rise of girls saying that they're trans now. I mean, it's basically, you know, biological girls who claim they're trans and that they're actually boys. We've heard from Abigail Schreier, Dr. Deborah So, These folks have been ostracized and dismissed as bigots. They're not. Not even close. They're looking at science and real data and jumping up and down with some important red flags. Not unlike Ayan on her issues. Well, the topic came up recently in the Biden administration. Uh, in the press briefing room, when one reporter asked the press secretary, Jen Psaki, about the issue. Apparently, this is a Fox News radio reporter. I actually don't remember this gal, although her name's familiar. I will say it's not the best articulated question. All right. But what she was asking was pretty clear. And what's important is the answer. Listen.
4: Um, President Biden's transgender rights executive action, specifically when it applies to high school sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, What message would the White House have for trans girls and cis girls? Who may end up competing against each other uh, and sparking some lawsuits and some concern uh, among parents. So, does the administration have guidance for schools on dealing with disputes arising over trans girls competing against and with cis girls? I'm not sure what your question is. The president's executive order has. I'm I'm familiar with the order, but But what what was your question about it? The question is Does the president have a message for? local school officials on dealing with these kind of disputes that are already starting to arise? Uh, Between trans girls who are competing and cis girls in a level playing field, particularly in high school sports, when it leads to uh, college scholarships, is there any kind of messaging or clarification that the White House wants to give on the executive order? I would just say that the President's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Uh, and in terms of the determinations by universities and colleges, I would certainly defer to them. That's it. Trans rights are human rights.
2: What about women's rights? What about the rights of girls to compete on a fair and level playing field? What about them? I realize these are tricky issues. Don't get me wrong. If, if I had a child who was trans, I would want them to be able to compete in sports in a way that was fair to them, but fair to everyone. And we've got to start having these real conversations about how we can take care of these children. Right. But not always at the expense of the girls, not always at the expense of the women who no longer get to call themselves women. If you look at these, what these activists are telling us. Right. Who can't talk about the fact that it is women who menstruate and it's women who have children. Right. You're not allowed to say somehow you're a bigot if you say that. Well, I said it. (laughs) It's the truth. And it doesn't mean I'm not supportive of the trans community this whole thing reminded me, and I, you know, I'm going to forward this to Jen Psaki. I'm going to send it to the White House uh, of a New York Post uh, op-ed piece that was, that was published back in 2019 by a concerned mom out of Connecticut who was sounding the alarm on this. And she was talking about her daughter, Alana, saying, my daughter has worked day and night to be a star athlete. As a freshman, I'm reading now. She led her high school team to its third straight team championship in the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference by winning the 100-meter, 200-meter, 400-meter in one of the most dominant individual performances in meet history. She was an integral component in the team's first-place finish in the State Open and in smashing pairs of records at the New England Championships in Maine. I think this is track. Alana has devoted countless days, nights, and weekends to training. She pushes herself to shave mere fractions of a second from her race times blah, 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 blah. It's all like how hard the girl works. Then she says, since 17, our state's high school athletic conference has allowed biological boys to compete against girls. It's enough that they just subjectively identify as female. They, that's all they have to do. And since then, two biological boys have won 15 women's track championships, titles held by nine different girls in 2016. Not only that, she writes, the same two biological boys have taken away more than 50 chances for girls to compete at the next level of competition, running these girls right off the track, forcing them to be spectators in their own sport. trans rights or human rights. Gensaki, pay attention. Pay attention. Here's the mom continuing about her daughter, Alana's experience as a parent. It is gut-wrenching to know that no matter how hard my daughter works to achieve her goals, she will lose athletic opportunities to a pernicious gender ideology. Left unchecked, this ideology will in the long run eliminate fair play for all biological females in sports. As we're seeing in Connecticut, a biological boy's subjective sense of his gender doesn't cancel out his physical advantage over girls. And I'll leave you with this, this piece of it. Lest I be assailed by the PC crowd, the mom, this has nothing to do with white privilege. My daughter is a beautiful young woman of color, nor is it about lifestyle. I believe love is love. It is about fairness of play, about women not being spectators in their own sports, about a level playing field. I want to get this woman on the show. And maybe we can get Jen Psaki to consider Alana's experience and do better than trans rights or human rights. How empty, how shallow, right? Either she doesn't know what she's talking about. She hasn't done her homework. And so she's just too empty headed. To speak intelligently on this subject, which, which is a problem, um, or she knows all about it, and she just dodged because it's too politically fraught, also a problem. The whole thing it really upsets me because more and more we're seeing biological girls and biological women get the short end on these things and and when anybody speaks up to say, "Hey, I'm not sure that's fair, it's shut up, bigot, well, this isn't going to cut it. this doesn't inspire confidence. I'll tell you that that our current administration is thinking critically around this important issue, but we're going to stay on it. Here, we'll bring you the facts and the truth and hopefully this mom. And that is another edition of Sound Up. Now back to Ayan Hirsi Ali.
3: For like the last three decades, it's just as we described, things are getting worse. And then a great event happens like the 2015 event. And we know it's going to happen again. Things will spike again because of all the events we talked about but never preparing for these events. And when things get out of hand, the cultural or religious elements will be either to deny or to explain, but just, it's really a mind-boggling.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a case you detail of an 18-year-old named, it looks like Frang- Francesca W. Yeah. Saying she left, a, uh, is it Freiburg? Is that in Germany, I assume? Yeah. Okay, nightclub in October of 2018 with a Syrian asylum seeker that she had met inside. Unbeknownst to her, he was already a suspect in a gang rape. He rapes her. And then he invited 11 men to join in. Syrians, an Iraqi, an Algerian, and one German between the ages of 19 and 29. And these guys got prison terms at the most of three to four years couple got suspended sentences i like then then there's another you, you detail another story in the Iran where um somebody who had who had raped a woman and then she died he left her to drown by the riverbank he had come in from afghanistan he claimed to be an unaccompanied minor from afghanistan he was placed with a german family a german host family and had been sent to school so germany rolls out the red carpet for this guy turns out he's from iran we think and then they find out he was already convicted of a murder in Greece. And the Greek cops said, you know what? He was unremorseful when he did it here. When we asked him, why did you kill this woman? He said, that's just a woman. So how do these people with criminal convictions in their in a European country or in another country that came before even get accepted into the country as a potential asylum candidate?
3: This is all illustration after illustration of how these systems are failing. Their women. It's gruesome story after gruesome story after gruesome story. And Megan, they'll say, we accept these people, but they never adjust the institutions not to protect their women, not to accept the immigrants. Nothing changes. They don't adjust the immigration system. They don't adjust the integration system. They don't protect their women. It is just too ludicrous for women, for any for, for words. They demonize anybody who questions their motives.
2: Why don't they get deported on crime number one?
3: You have to look at the deportation systems, which we try to look look at in the book. And there is just this huge incompetence around these subjects. And all the incompetence, just this is sheer incompetence. The incompetence is all hidden behind moralizations. They moralize. And if you ask the questions you're asking, which we've asked, they'll moralize at you and they'll demonize you if you ask these questions. And the only people who will talk to you, they will say who will Mm -hmm. who will be honest with you, they'll say, please don't mention my name. They'll talk to you anonymously. If you wanted to deploy, we had the resources and you wanted to deploy, let's say, just investigative resources to get to the bottom of this. I think you could uncover a lot, uh, but you would find a lot of people talking to you anonymously. Mm
2: -hmm. I know you went to a lot of these European countries. You had research assistants who did the same. And in the book, you recount how in in places like Brussels or certain Paris districts and elsewhere, you'll walk by and you'll see some of these migrant men freely playing soccer in the park. And occasionally you'll see a Muslim woman veiled in black from head to toe, seen hurrying along, you know, behind. Or but but what you won't see is what you would expect to see, which is European women out doing their thing, living their lives. But like just the dynamic has changed where it looks more like Turkey or it looks more like Iran. In the meantime, gun sales are going up. Women are buying guns and have to download something called a no go zone app on their phone to figure out where is safe and where is not.
3: And they're buying pepper spray, and they're buying, or and then it gets even more ridiculous. They're being advised to wear um, bracelets um, that are supposed to emit uh, skunk-like smells. Um, they're putting signs up that say uh, "No um, groping." I mean, it's getting to ridiculous points. Um, the mayor is giving advice, don't wear high heels. Uh, they've consulted with imams who say, well, then don't sell alcohol uh, to young men. <laughs> I mean, it's, mm, interesting. <laughs> we found, again, it's not all neighborhoods. I, I, I also want to point out, you will find a lot of European women lounging freely and doing their own European thing in parks and stuff like that. But it's, uh, in working class neighborhoods. So this is a class thing also. It's the working class women who are being let down. It's uh, You have to go very far from your neighborhood. Basically, the burden of the unintended consequences of This type of immigration is being borne by the women in low-income neighborhoods. But it's spreading to some areas. And we have been to neighborhoods that are completely women-free. There is a Swedish uh, senior politician who was taken to a neighborhood, and he was uh, asked to take a tour around, and he was asked, what's missing here? And he looked around, and he couldn't tell. It's women.
2: Wow. The thing you mentioned in the book was anti-rape underwear. There's now a product you can buy. like some bizarre chastity i don't know what it is but when your society has had to resort to that and skunk smelling bracelets you got a problem you got a problem it needs addressing yeah um yeah
4: i mean you have to laugh
2: because it's just so absurd ian but you know i think the other the other piece of this is like you talk in the book about what happened to the feminists right where are the feminists why aren't they fighting this war
3: Well, a lot of them are like uh, the new commissioner of Europe, von der Leyen. um, They're so preoccupied with this glass ceiling and women CEOs. And uh, and hey, uh, don't get me wrong. I think that's a fine cause to fight for. I don't envy them for that. But there is no feminism right now that is fighting that cause. Maybe one day working class women and immigrant women will join hands and fight this particular cause because it, are, it affects them. They share those neighborhoods where they're being harassed and groped and raped by strange men that they don't know. Who And these strange men are acting in groups and maybe these women should act in groups and say, we need our neighborhoods to be safe. But right now, there is no feminist movement that is acting for them identity politics and the feminism that that has produced is not fighting for them. It's silencing them. You should see this woman uh, who has reviewed *Prey* in the New York Times today. It's published today. She's making a complete caricature of the book. And that's the type of voice that is not doing anything for them, not doing anything.
2: Is she she uh, leveling the bigotry accusation and the sweeping generalizations, that kind of thing?
3: Exactly. Total silence. Just making a caricature, uh, the white woman versus black man, uh, Bigotry and just bullshit. So I don't, I didn't mean to use that word, but
2: no, it's fine. I mean, does it, does it count in her book if it's black women getting, I mean, because black women are having this happen too. like, this is so absurd. I guarantee you that woman is living in some Brooklyn Brownstone is sipping a latte on her iMac writing this and not really giving two dams about what's happening to any woman of any skin color over there, just as long as she thinks she's on the quote right side.
3: Absolutely. And I would invite her to walk in any of those neighborhoods if she had the time. Exactly. She's in a Brooklyn Brixton. So that type of feminism is doing nothing for these women. But that's exactly what needs to happen. I think these women, they have to stand up for themselves. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving a platform airtime. uh, Of course.
2: Of course. I mean, you'll touch the third rail on issues nobody wants you to touch and then they try to dismiss you by saying that you you know you you say all muslims are bad or rapists or what have you and you've never said that you've always been careful about your language they just refuse to hear it so let me ask you this what what now right i mean i would say tighten the the migration uh, rules um but how they're going to have to deal with the asylum framework, I guess. I mean, what, what, what would be the first thing? You talk in the book about how Angela Merkel got Europe into a lot of this mess by accepting so many of these people in Germany. L- let me put it to you, another woman, how to get us out of this mess. What What's the solution?
3: The solution is to expose the incompetence. It's to say, if you want a true leadership, you have to revisit the whole idea of asylum. That is to get to the big picture of how in this interconnected world are we going to deal with the large movements of masses and masses of people, especially young men? What types of solutions are the rich countries going to, like working together, do in the countries of origin? How many people can we take in? What does asylum even mean anymore? What, you know, How are we going to deal with economic refugees? What are we going to do to protect the... The rights and freedoms of women. What about immigration and inter- so what about integration? If you want to sacrifice social cohesion and encourage political vol- volatility in wealthy countries, then fling the doors open and invite everyone in, and that's fine. Then there's no need to have a difference between rich countries and poor countries, everybody can be a poor country. Uh, that's one way of doing it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And I, I know you, you think sex education is important, too.
3: Sex education is important. Um, but if you want to have sex education, if you want the values of freedom and equality and women's rights, um, a true challenge to bigotry, if you want to challenge those, then you are going to have to wade into the culture wars and which values are superior to which values. And that for that, you need courage. You need to address those. Uh, and that's exactly what these European uh, leaders lack, most of them, uh, at any rate.
2: Although you've pointed out uh, last time we talked it, that Macron seems to have grown a spine and, and in particular is focusing in on on multiculturalism, which I know you say we've got to ab- avoid this obsessive focus on this, that that we can't treat. That term and that idea of multiculturalism, you know, we can be next to each other in the same country with very, very different norms and ethics and so on uh, as sacrosanct anymore.
3: Yes, he said we cannot have these Islamist separatist um, neighborhoods and uh, the values of the republic prevail. So, yes, he has grown a spine and that means a complete rejection of multiculturalism and moral relativism. The question is, is he doing this only because he wants to win the elections of next year or is this a lasting proposition which he really is going to fight for even after he wins re-election? Well, and also how does he
2: force it? You know, you look at those, what I guess they're called dish cities in outside of Paris or, you know, where they're basically you say in the book, they're cultural enclaves where people are watching satellite TV from abroad, um, Mm -hmm. not really tuning into the local culture, but how does he enforce it? You know, how how do you get those people back out into the culture, make them take sex ed, start to, I don't know, make them love brie and wine and beautiful Parisian women in a way that's appropriate.
3: (laughs) They don't have to eat brie and drink wine and love Parisian women, but they have to keep their hands to themselves and respect women. And, you know, there are some basic values about the rule of law and sort of just these basic boundaries of live and let live. And Megan, we've been subjected for at least the last 11 or 12 months to the COVID rules, of social distancing, wearing the mask, um, these lockdowns. And I think if these governments were to make this a priority, they could do it they know they can. We know they can. It's just never been a priority.
2: Do we have to worry about this here?
3: It depends on the number of... It's always a scale thing. And in Europe, they do have now this scale that they have to worry about it. And in the United States, I think where... And they don't have to be Muslim men. It's just that where you have a large enough number of men Uh, who don't give two hoots about women's rights, uh, then you have to worry about it. And we shall see if we have a government that will enforce the laws we have. Fortunately, in America, you don't get a slap on the wrist for rape.
2: That's right. Yeah, we're doing some things right. Ayan, once again, it's an eye-opening read. I was happy to read it, to blurb it, and to support it. And I think people will find it very informational, a little scary, but it's it's almost a civic responsibility to read it. And we got to stay up on on what's happening over there. They're our friends. Europe's our friends. We we all I remember covering the Syrian war in detail and the pictures were so horrific and there really was a question of what to do with the refugees and what to do with the children and at the time Angela Merkel was praised as a hero for letting everybody in. And now you see that the consequences of some of those decisions, some of which were foreseen and some of which weren't. This is the other piece of the story. So, as usual, Ion is ahead of the curve on it. And by the way, has a new podcast, which is exciting. How did it go, the first episode?
3: <laughs> it was fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, Megan, you are always amazing and always so supportive. Thank you so, so, so very much. My
2: pleasure. Today's episode was brought to you in part by Black Rifle Coffee. Roasted by veterans, Black Rifle Coffee is the freshest brew in America. Go to blackriflecoffee.com to get yours now. And while I have your attention, please go ahead and subscribe to the show. Rate the show, five stars, and give it a review if you don't mind. We'd love to hear from you because if you subscribe, then you don't have to be on the lookout for our next episode, which you're going to want to hear. Let me tell you what happened. A young Caucasian student at a girl's school, a private Catholic girl's school in St. Louis, has filed a lawsuit claiming that she has been relentlessly bullied, targeted, and attacked. Not exactly physically, but rhetorically and in other ways, because she was the subject ...of a racism allegation that she says was totally unfounded. And she said she can prove it was totally unfounded. But what happened was the school, according to her, allowed a torrent of bullying to be unleashed against her. And we're going to get into what happened to her life. You've got to hear it to believe it. And the school did nothing. Nothing. Why? Because they were terrified. Because the person accusing her was black... Because that person was claiming she was the victim of our plaintiff's alleged behavior. And it goes from there. But it's a, it's an intriguing and telling and disturbing story. And this is the first time this young woman has spoken out. She's just filed the lawsuit. She's going by Jane Doe. But she's here. And she's going to tell us everything. And guess who she's represented by? Remember Mark McCloskey? the guy who was brandishing the weapon with his wife out in front of his home in St. Louis last summer as the BLM protesters came into his neighborhood, his private gated community that was trespassing. They, they was, it was private and they did, didn't much care. Uh, he's her lawyer. That guy's a lawyer and he's representing her. So we'll talk to him about her case and a bit about his own. So don't don't miss our next episode. It's on Wednesday and I promise you you're going to enjoy it. See you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures.
0: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay.